Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know his voice as the soundtrack to a footballing institution. Here we go again. New season, new titles, new managers, new signings. But apart from that, nothing much has really changed. You know his face... One that has evolved from that of a goal-scorer extraordinaire. Double FWA Player of the Year, 1986 World Cup Golden Boot winner. To one of the most esteemed sports presenters this country has produced. You know about his most embarrassing moment on a football pitch. Lineker up there, it goes over Moran's head and Moran must have given Lineker a shove because England get a free kick. It's the 1990 World Cup against the Republic of Ireland. He is feeling poorly and he is um, rubbing his backside on the pitch to get rid of the evidence. Imagine if Twitter was around then. You know he eats crisps, and you know his political views. But do you actually know the real Gary Lineker? It's important to remember, of course, that when I played, um, there was no social media, um, thankfully. <laughs> um, so that's that's been a shift. That's kind of given me a platform to to use it normally for football reasons, but I have um, other interests in life, like most people do. The man, the myth... The match of the day legend joins us to reveal all. We tackle the fuss about his wages, why he's so determined to help refugees, the cutthroat world of broadcasting, and his new talent of cooking. I've been offered cookbooks and TV ideas and all sorts, but I, I keep saying no. I feel a fraud. I'm just a, you know, I'm, I'm getting better, but I'm a kind of, I'm an amateur. But um, so we'll, we'll see. I think I should start by asking the most important question, the one that everybody wants to know the answer to, that's been on the lips of the nation for years now. So Gary, why do you keep exposing us to Piers Morgan on our timelines? Um, That's a very good question of which I don't really have the answer. Um, But no, Piers is an old friend and we have a little bit of what they banter they call it nowadays don't they um so you know he's quite annoying sometimes but um he's he's actually also quite good company sometimes so and he's one of those he's quite provocative and he will um 
try and provoke debate, debate and sometimes I agree with him and quite often I don't, but um, it's part and parcel with peers. You have a very big profile in general, but particularly online where you are not afraid to say what you feel. Have you felt that developed throughout your career? Because when you're a footballer, you're often encouraged not to say anything at all and to not take a position, whether that be politically or otherwise. And even when you're a big personality, that's the case. But you're now quite comfortable and obviously confident to state how you feel, regardless of what the matter is. Well, I think there are a number of things that change. One, you become more mature and work things out a little bit and what you believe in, what you don't, and perhaps get a little bit um, bolder in in trying to use your platform, whatever that may be. Um, it's important to remember, of course, that when I played, um, there was no social media, um, thankfully. <laughs> um, so that's that's been a shift. That's kind of given me a platform to to use it normally for football reasons, but I've, I have um, other interests in life like most people do. Um, so I, I share those and there are causes that I, you know, fight for, like stand up for, like refugees, for example, I'm molding a few charities, other charity things. Uh, politically, I'm interested in politics. I, I've never tweeted who I've voted for at, uh, at any stage. Um, obviously, I went with Remain in the um, referendum, but that was a different issue. Um, but politically, I, you know, like everybody, we, you know, we, we, we look and some things we um, applaud politically and other things we don't like. Um, I'm not afraid to say where I stand on those things but most of my political stuff is, is, is kind of a bit mickey taking bit of fun um, so but you know we all have our interests and, and social media is, is a thing where people can find out a little bit about you and, and that's ultimately what it's for it's a totally separate thing to, to what you do when you're working You touched on a few interesting things there that we can get stuck into Firstly you said you're fortunate that social media wasn't around when you were a player do you feel a bit of sympathy for the current generation who have to deal with this instant reaction to every mistake, whether that be on or off the pitch? Modern football, there is no grey area in it. You're either shit or you're the best thing ever. And players have to now live and try and succeed in this environment. Well, the truth is, of course, all the players that certainly play in top flight football anywhere in any league in, in, in the world, well, certainly in Europe, um, you would say are, are really good players and people fail to understand that. And I always talk to them when people start slagging off um, footballers that are playing, you know, even if they're playing for Liverpool or City or Leicester or Man United or whoever is your team in the top flight and they say, he's useless, he's useless. And I just, point them back to the fact that most people played at school if they take themselves back to school and there was always the kid at school that they said he was he, we all thought he was the best player you've ever seen and he was going to make it and then you know it didn't quite happen for him and he's, he plays like non-league football but he was honestly he was really brilliant they don't actually really comprehend how good you have to be to play at, at the top uh, in football, particularly these days, this competition is extraordinary. So, you know, that's why I'm pretty supportive and rarely critical of footballers, um, is performances, because um, I've been there, I know how difficult it is, I know how good they are. They are so good. And you can tweet something really, really complimentary about a really brilliant player, and underneath it still get people that have no idea 
no idea whatsoever how they good how good these people are having a pop at them um so um, yeah, I am quite supportive of footballers. I wouldn't have particularly enjoyed, I don't think, being involved with social media if I was a player now because uh, because of that negativity that's around it. Um, I mean, to be honest, with me, I'm, I get a degree of that, but I don't, well, I get a lot of it, but I don't look at the notification side of it anyway. So um, occasionally one will spring up because somebody um, that I follow or so would have responded to it but um but by and large it's it's to be, it's it's best to ignore it because there's a lot of nonsense a lot of drivel another thing you touched on there is that you have many interests beyond football it's a bit weird in a sense how we always expect people who work in this industry whether that be as a player manager or analyst to only like the game and players often get criticized if they're into fashion or if they've got different hairdos and like to express themselves a bit. We don't ever say an accountant should stick only to accountancy. So why do we have this about football? Do you have any explanation? Um, yeah, you do. So you see the old stick to football thing that you always get. I mean, I, I think it's from generally. The, the thing is, I think by and large, the vast majority of people are, are reasonable and understanding and quite pleasant on Twitter. But it's the people you notice, the ones that are unkind and stupid. Um, and telling someone, um, telling someone like a, a mechanic or a plumber is, is on Twitter and he's telling you to stick to football when they're tweeting that you'll see their timeline full of political tweets and football. Um, I mean, they, if they don't get their own hypocrisy, well, I find that quite amusing, but it's, it's, you know, there are only a few of those that do it and, um, and they're just not really thinking it through. You have been in the public eye for so long. I'm old. Yeah. Well, you said it, <laughs> not me. <laughs> but have you felt that this is the time where your voice matters most, carries the most weight, can influence the most change? And is this the time where, I know we're talking about people being intolerant of views, but where there is an acceptance now that actually, if you have a platform, you should be using it? I, I, it's a difficult one. I don't think my views are any more important than anyone else's um, at all. Um, but I do have a large platform, so I try and use it. Um, I try and use it wisely, and I try to use it for good. Um, I think I've got social conscience. Um, I think I have empathy. Um, so I try. You know, the people will disagree with me, and that's fine. I don't. You know, I don't mind debate. I don't mind people disagreeing. I don't understand abuse. Um, just because you have a different opinion about something, why, why would you hate someone um, unless there's good reason to do so? So, um, yeah, I try and use it for good. I don't, you know, I don't feel I'm, you know, more important than anybody else in any way, shape or form. I don't think my views are more important than anyone else's, but um, I will share my views. And obviously I believe in what I say and, and, and I'm a stand up for it. And, um, you know, I try and fight what I feel are just causes. And hopefully if you can influence one or two people to to jump on the right side along the way then then that makes me happy the former england striker was moved by the plight of alan curdy the three-year-old boy who drowned trying to make the crossing with his family as refugees to greece along with thousands of others lineker has used his profile to draw attention to the efforts to help refugees earlier this year he attended a football training session for unaccompanied refugee children 
and one of those who benefited from the charity he's supporting says its work has changed his life. I was almost on the verge of becoming homeless and this is where you know refugees at home came in and it was quite important for me because it basically, you know, provided me with like a roof of, over my head. We've seen a switch now where players feel more emboldened to stand up for what they believe in, whether that be political, religious or whatever the case. But as I said earlier, players are conditioned to speak in cliches, to say as little as possible, to stay clear from anything that could be considered controversial. Do you think it's quite enlightening and significant that football is now more open to diverse voices, ways of thinking, and that it's veering away from this insistence that it that if you are involved in the game, you should only comment about the game? I think it's, a, it's, I think it's great. And I'm really proud of some of our young footballers for the way they've spoken out about certain causes you know whether it's been racism you know where a lot of a lot of players have got together and, and, and helped things you know Raheem Sterling in particular and um, Wes Morgan and Troy Deeney and others and then you've got you know what Marcus Rashford has done for example in terms of um, feeding our poorest children and and what a wonderful example he set and you've got to remember as well that these are very young men Footballers are young men, and I've got four young men as, as, as sons, and, and, and by and large, they're fairly daft most of the time, um, and the maturity comes late. And we expect a lot of our young footballers. And, you know, I've, I've got four kids all in their 20s now. Well, they're not kids anymore. They're adults. But, um, and they can live their lives, and they can have fun, and they can go out. And for footballers, it's, it's, it's a bit more – it's different. Now, obviously, they're – very well compensated. We all know that. They all earn vast sums of money, which almost makes them um, an easy target. And, you know, we saw it at the beginning of the pandemic, didn't we? we, we when the government had a pop and said, oh, the, white, the footballers have got to do something. And they already were getting together to do something. Um, and they've been brilliant throughout this crisis. And I think it's, I think some of them have been really impressive, especially when you consider um, their ages. Yes, a few of them have made mistakes in lockdown and done things that they shouldn't have done. And, you know, obviously a couple of young kids with England of a couple of weeks ago made a silly mistake, um, but they'll learn from it. And, and there's so much in the spotlight. It, it, it's not easy, especially when, you know, you're growing up and, kids of 18, 19, 20. I mean, we do expect a lot of them. And, um, but they'll learn as they go on and they'll make their mistakes. But as long as they learn from them, then it'll be fine. You touched on them earning a lot of money, which is something that is constantly held against them. And they're quite young having to deal with that. You, on the other hand, are very mature. You've been in this industry a long time. You're so set in your career. But you also have your salary thrown at you quite a bit. Despite all those factors, is it still difficult for you to deal with that? No, I fully understand. I mean, it's hard for me to you know, justify a salary for what I do. But I live in a business that is, you know, it's football is a global business. It's, uh, I've, I've been lucky to be involved in it on both sides. It's very competitive, particularly in the TV world as well. Um, you know, there are not many... Um, footballers that have gone on to presenting. Um, I, I got a niche in that. And obviously I know that I've had offers where I could have gone elsewhere for more, but I've not, you know, I don't want to try and 
plead holier than thou and stuff. Um, so I get it. It's understandable. It's it's um, it's a bit of ammunition for to fire at me on occasions. Um, but I, I totally recognise how fortunate I am. But um, you know, I'm not going to sit here talking to you now and say that you know I deserve getting more than than one of the nurses that's been on the front line. No, I don't. Um, I know that, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm just very lucky to be in the business I am. You don't decide. No, I don't decide. And I obviously, you know, um, it, I find it, I've got a bit of criticism, I think, from in Parliament, from Jacob Rees-Mogg about it the other day. I mean, this guy's got, you know, he's got his companies based offshore and all this. He's, he's worth hundreds of millions. And the hypocrisy is quite quite baffling. But um, but you kind of get accustomed to that. Um, but it's, it's yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one. I try and do my bit with it as well. So, and try and um, help a few people and help a few causes along the way. But um, I'm not going to sit here and argue and, and try and justify my salary because I can't. I'm just lucky. Well, Mr. Speaker, slightly warming to my uh, earlier um, theme, um, I'm not entirely sure why a retired footballer is paid more than Vic Marks, a distinguished Somerset cricketer who regularly appears as an expert summariser uh, on Test Match Special and I would have thought is deser- deserving of much more money. Uh, than a retired association footballer. And I do think that the BBC has been unfair on pensioners in requiring them uh, to pay the licence fee. The hope was that they would not do this, and they are basically stealing the Ovaltine from pensioners' nighttime drink by charging them for this licence fee, and they are losing licence payers. They've lost a quarter of a million licence payers um, in the last year as people are voting with their feet. And I think the BBC needs to pay attention to what my honourable friend is saying, because when they're charging some of the least well-off in our society and giving the money to some of the most well-off in our society, there are people who will rightly question that, especially when they're not giving it to cricketers. The plight of refugees is something you care quite deeply about. How did that come about? Um, I think it was primarily we're going back, I don't know, what, three, two, three, four years, whenever it was. And we started to see um, images on the news of, of, of them having to flee war-torn countries and then kind of in boats. And then there being, you know, a lot, of, a lot of kind of aggression towards them and no one would take them. And you these poor families and they're drowning off, falling off the boats. And, and there are a couple of stories that kind of, hit me emotionally um and i just thought imagine being in that situation imagine if it was in london and suddenly we're all of a sudden we're some strange regime and we're all getting bombed and, and we we have this it's impossible to live here and we have to go somewhere and no one wants us you know um so i just i just felt like massive amount of empathy towards um this poor people with this dreadful plight they had so you know i stood up for something and then i got criticized for that and, and i even got you know front page headlines to should lose my job because of having empathy towards refugees and i thought well how, how have we got to that how does that happen um and so it's kind of and the more i get attacked i'm kind of a bit stubborn and i'll go the other way so um so i've kind of yeah i've supported in the number of charities over in recent years uh, since that and since then I've met loads of refugees there's some brilliant um, football things going on Fulham and Chelsea do something Arsenal as well I think Burnley have got a good thing I think there's a lot of clubs around the country that do things with refugees and I, I went to Fulham which is 
just down the road from me to their ground and you know, met lots of them. They, had, like, they do football training stuff. And they're just really nice people. They're just like people that needed a little bit of help in life. Um, let's, and, and we have to do our bit. Now, obviously, we can't take everybody. We all know that. But we have to do our fair share. And that's all I feel. A lot of issues, I think, today are flagged as political when actually, if we're being honest, they're humanitarian issues and we should be looking at them that way. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, it was deemed as being a political position at, at, when it first started. And that's why they said you can't do that because you work for the BBC, even though the guidelines at the BBC are very much in terms of social media. Or um, you can't kind of give political preferences or go one way or the other if you're in news and current affairs. And I'm not in news or current affairs. So um, I can do what I want, obviously. But I, I also understand that there's a degree of responsibility in my position. So I'm not... I don't think overly stupid, but you're absolutely right. The, the refugee crisis that the world is now facing is a huge humanitarian issue. It's not a political issue, um, or it shouldn't be a political issue. It should be all countries trying to just do their bit um, for humanity. Goals, goals, goals. We've never seen a start of a Premier League season quite like this one, and it's fair to say we're enjoying it immensely. It's so hard to imagine match of the day without Gary Lineker now. But there was a point where he couldn't imagine being a success on football's flagship show. We find out more about that after the break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Okay, so you're not in news or current affairs, but you are on football's flagship show. I want you to talk me through being the face of match of the day, the spirit of match of the day, because I know when you first started, you thought, oh my gosh, how can I possibly do this presenting stuff? How can I be a success at it? 
but now I'm sure it's as automatic as breathing to you. <laughs> um, well, it's I've, I've been doing it an awfully long time, but uh, as you say, it was actually when I was on Football Focus that I used to drive home after doing the show and thinking I'm never going to be able to crack this. But, you know, with time, um, you get used to the environment in which you're working in and you become more comfortable. Then you become yourself and then people will ultimately decide whether they like you or not. Now, not everyone will ever like you. You'll always have people that just can't stand you. For, there's something about you that irritates them um, for whatever it is. But as, as long as you've got the majority on your side, you've got more that like you than don't like you. You've got half a chance. But yeah, it took a long time. It's a great show to be part of now. I've been doing Match Today now for over 20 years as the host. And I, I always thought that's why I wanted to go into presenting. After I finished my career, I did punditry for a while, but I just thought if I could just crack presenting it, it will, it will just give me an edge, give me a, a, above all the other presenters because I'd be the only one that's played at the very top level in football or any kind of proper level in football, whereas all the others are just you know general sports presenters. But when I was playing in my late 20s, I used to look at like sports like um, cricket and golf and tennis, Sue Barker and David Gower, etc. They were ex-players that had gone into the presenting side of it, not just the pundits. So I just thought... No one's really done that in football. Well, Jimmy Hill did a bit of presenting, but he's primarily a pundit. Bob Wilson did it, but he's a goalkeeper, so that doesn't really count. Um, but no one had done it that you know, in my way. So I just thought if I could crack that, it would give me some kind of longevity in that position. And, and that's kind of how it's, it's turned out. That's some really tactical bits of thinking there. Well done. Well, that's life, isn't it? It's about planning ahead, <laughs> trying to anyway. And then, you know, you have your goals and then you you try and accomplish them. Don't always reach your goals, obviously, in life, but can but try. On that one, it kind of worked. You said it's a very competitive industry, which I know it is, especially in TV. So do you watch a lot of the competition? Are you seeing how they're evolving? Do you try and take away some things and make sure that you guys are at the cutting edge on match of the day? Mm, very much so, yeah. I mean, we do a lot of great television in this country. Um, you know, look at Sky, BT, um, BBC, ITV. Uh, we all, you know, we do football. We do football pretty well. Uh, it doesn't kind of change that much. We have a very different audience on match of the day than, say, Sky or even BT because the people that, you know, pay, you know, their considerable money for Sky and BT that they do, is because, you know, they're very passionate about football, almost anoraki. Um, so, therefore, the way Sky do it will always be a bit different to us because they have, like, loads of time and they've got sports channels, lots of sports channels alone. We don't even have a sports channel. Um, so, our audience is really, particularly with Match of the Day and the heart obviously being a highlights package, and it's, it's remarkable that it's, it's maintained its audience considering how highlights don't tend to work as well in so many sports these days. Um, we have to consider our audience is not anoraki. You know, it's not the ones that want 20, 10, 15 minutes of analysis. We, they want to see, it's their Premier League fix in the week, a bit of analysis, a bit of fun. Don't take it too seriously. Um, but at the same time, you know, say what you think uh, and show all the goals, all the games and, and, and get off. We, 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 you can't be on for three or four hours and go into things in great depth. So we have to consider our audience are not necessarily complete experts. So we've got to try and 
help them understand what's going on. They don't take it too seriously, but they do complain about the running order forever and ever and ever. Does it get old? Well, I mean, the thing is, when I when I when we lost match of the day, I think it was about two thousand, and we lost it for three years to ITV. Um, when it came back, I was in. I remember being in. We were discussing what we should do with the new show, and I said, "Do you think it would be possible to show highlights of all the games?" Because at that point, we used they used to be like highlights, proper highlights of two games. Then you get short highlights of perhaps the third game, and then all you get from the other five, six games, whatever it was, were the goals. And I said, "Is there a way we can do highlights of every game, and then everyone will be perfectly happy?" And they did. They backed it. It's extra. It was expensive to do that, but it offered a much significantly better service. But instead of all the fans going, "This is fantastic," we, well, oh, I'm sure a lot of them did. It's fantastic. We can see highlights of every game. We give at least six, seven minutes to every single match. It's now. Why is the team not? Why? Is, why? Why is that team? Why is our team on eighth? Or why are we on last? Why are we always on last? And the thing is, I was saying. Then people say, "Oh, you're just so biased." against my team and I said and I said no we're not biased against your team you're biased because you only ever complain about where your team is on they never complain they don't go tell you what Everton were a bit unlucky to be on fifth not third this week and they're a Liverpool fan it doesn't happen like that so but it's it's not a serious complaint I I think most of them are just having a bit of fun with it but it's kind of become a thing (laughs) Um, and it's often they go oh we're always on last I said well score some goals Score some goals and get, get yourself up the running order. You've said score more goals to affect the running order, but I mean, all we've seen this season are goals. We've seen so many penalties because of the change with the handball law, some absolutely crazy results, some unbelievable games already. Do you think the strange nature of the season, the fact that it's going to be so intense with so many games in a short period of time, that there's going to be room for a few surprises? I mean, we've already seen them. Well, we've seen one or two surprises already, haven't we? Um, but we've certainly seen a lot more penalties. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't mind seeing more, more goals and more penalties, but I think it's got to be kind of fair. I think they're messing it up at the moment. And even though there is a new handball law around, um, obviously there are going to be more penalties because of that. I think they're misinterpreting it as well. They're missing that key. I mean, I've, I've read through these handball laws about five times already this season and there's a, there's one clear bit that stipulates which has not changed from before that you have to regard close proximity and they've not done that i mean these the, the ones with there was the palace one um at the weekend and then there was obviously the tottenham one and i just thought that's they're, they're like so close it's ridiculous because their arms in a certain Where's your arm supposed to be? It's only just connected to your shot. I mean, it's getting, it's just got silly. Um, I think, I mean, there was a few years ago, I used to say, actually, I said, well, they might as well just make it. If it hits your hand, hits your arm, it's a handball, even if you don't mean it. Uh, and, and to be honest, it was kind of, um, I was just thinking out loud. Um, a bit like they do in hockey, where they used to hit the feet and it's automatic. So at least players then would know where they stand and they have to get their arms out of the way. But at the minute, no one knows where they are. I don't think that's workable now because of VAR, by the way. This was pre-VAR. With VAR, they'd, they'd suddenly take that with this microscopic nonsense that they're doing and they'd say, if it flicks a knuckle, ah, that's handball then. So you couldn't do that. But they're better off actually just going back to the old, it's got to be deliberate or deemed as deliberate. Um, there was still, that still kind of never 
absolutely clear, but there's never going to be anything that's completely clear. So I think they need to go back to, to the kind of that common sense because we had the absurdity last season, didn't we, of the handballs when it went was leading to a goal, even if it was you know, you know, two or three minutes before, whatever it was. Uh, they've adjusted that one to just if it leads to a goal, which is perhaps more sensible. Um, but now they've brought this one in and they'll probably amend that at some point. But the thing is, the people making the laws like David Ellery with IFAB and stuff, you know, they're not really football people. You know, they refer, the refer, I don't think the referees should be deciding the laws. They should just monitor the laws once they're in place. Um, so, you know, we're kind of making a bit of a horlicks of it. And it's all exacerbated by VAR and this fact that they can go and look so closely at things that no one's even appealed for. But it's, it's a bit of a pickle. But I'm sure hopefully in time it'll sort itself out. We're talking about the newness in football, but in terms of the coverage of it, it would have changed for you quite dramatically as well during COVID. How did you deal with the initial lockdown period? And then when you guys did return to filming, what was different about it? Well, it was it was very odd at the start, obviously, that we'd, football kind of stopped for a while. Um, and then we'd, we'd actually, I was, I'm in my kitchen now, but we were actually in the kitchen with Ian Wright and Alan Shearer. Um, we were doing a just a podcast which happened just before lockdown we recorded three episodes in here and we have proper cameras on it because they were going to promote it on BBC Sounds because um, it's a BBC podcast so we thought so someone we started thinking what can we do we need to put out something for the people because we can't leave them with Mrs Brown's boys or whatever it's called every Saturday night um, so they decided to put the podcast on um, which instead of Macedon it, 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 came, it went very well and be proved popular so we carried it on from all of our front rooms my front room here was turned into like a tv studio and we were just doing things from from distance um we did much of their day um but obviously we are missing sport the, the hardest thing for me was just not watching sport not not necessarily working on it but just having i mean it, since it's come back even though there's no crowds and we're not pretending it's quite the same. We all know how important fans are to the game, but it's it's great to have some you know entertainment back and real sport. And I always wondered what people did that didn't like sport, and I just and it just what is it? I'm boring, you know. I'm boring. Like you know, watching your team win at Man City five two. I mean, those sort of things just just magical. And then I switched over to cricket, and there was this incredibly incredible IPL game where. You know, they needed 51 off three overs and they did it with three balls to spare. And that was like extraordinary cricket. So, um, so yeah, it's good to have sport back and we need the fans and, and hopefully it won't be too long till this, this nightmare is over. Was it weird not to have your schedule dictated to by the games and stuff? Because that's what I found quite difficult. When you work in this industry, your entire life basically revolves around football the press conferences the interviews the travel then suddenly there's nothing and you're like uh what else was i doing what do i do now i know it was it was totally it's totally different and just you know being at home and even the traveling that you wait whether you're in the games or going to the studio um that's just really really strange times work was work was entirely different um but you just have to make do. We all had, you know, we all had to do our bit and um, do what we were told. And, um, and <laughs> I fear it might be happening again, but um, hopefully not. 
We've also seen during this period, like we touched on earlier, football really coming to the fore in terms of players on an individual level helping out, whether it be with the food banks, Marcus Rashford campaigning against the government, holding them to account over child poverty and child hunger. But I think what people do really want to see is the Premier League taking more of a lead in terms of helping the rest of the pyramid out. Where do you stand on that front? Um, well, I think they've helped. I mean, they'll probably have to help more. Um, it's very worrying at the moment, uh, the lower tiers particularly. I think, you know, obviously the big boys will be, they'll get through it, even though they've all lost like untold amounts. But having said that, they're still pounding in on the transfer market, a lot of them. Um, but I think that, you know, the lower clubs, it's going to lower down the tier it's going to be really difficult for them and they will need help but they you know hopefully the you know the government will help as well um we we know how football is treated generally politically it's it's kind of you know uses a lovely bandwagon when england team does well and gets to the semi-final and you see the politicians all over it but, but they don't do anything at all um apart from those situations um and that probably applies to other sports as well um so we, we know how it works with with politics but i think it's so important to local communities right around the country um their local football club is everything and and we've we've, we've got to try and um help them and um, and protect their, their their futures and it's it's seriously worrying what we might happen to to a lot of clubs Jürgen Klopp was quite interesting when he said he doesn't know how the government is worried about what football's doing when you know they've got so much on their hands to worry about with the coronavirus crisis and the way they've handled this entire global pandemic, you know, the failure of the track and trace, the delaying. What are your thoughts on how they have led the nation through this? Well, I think firstly, it's important to say they were dealt an awful hand um, to get this just after winning an election. And then and obviously, it's a situation that um, none of us have lived through before. So I think you have to have a, a degree of sympathy towards that situation. Having said that, I, I like many others, feel it's it's not been handled particularly well. There's been U-turns on everything um, all over the place. It just seems a little bit like um, they're reacting to things um, that rather than be proactive um, doesn't seem to be any kind of long-term plan just ad hoc measures um, but it, it must be intensely difficult I, I wouldn't want their job at the moment for anything um, because it, it's so hard because none of us really know none of us know what is actually what should happen but there's no question that, that testing has, has, has been poor that you know, the track and trace system has been slow coming um, and we've just been a bit behind the ball um, really and um, and we've suffered and a lot of people have, have, have lost their lives and a lot of families have suffered and it's it's, it's been it's been pretty awful but um, can't be easy um, there's no question about that and um, yeah I don't envy their position Okay, so we know you're very interested in politics. We know you're a dad. You love spending time with your family. You've got your production company. You've got your own podcast. But what is it about Gary Lineker that people may not actually know? What other hobbies or interests do you have? Um, well, I'm 
cooking is my newest passion. I mean, obviously, I've always been a sportaholic. I've always played loads of sports and stuff, but I'm getting too old for all that now, but um, still work out. Um, so working out a lot, keeping fit as much as I can. I read a lot. Um, I love cooking. That's become my new passion, and um, I'm getting all right at it now. I started about, I don't know, five years ago when I kind of, um, when I got on my own again. Um, and I went to restaurants on my own and so obviously with friends as well. And then I was getting takeouts and I just thought, oh, come on, get a grip, learn to cook. And actually it was the best thing I did. I just love it. I love going out. I love going, like, getting the produce. I love prepping. I love the cooking, the timing. The, um, and then especially when you're cooking for people or my boys or whatever it is, it just gives you a, you know, it's quite satisfying um, when it goes well, which, uh, but yeah, I love it. So that's spent a lot of time doing that and um, did quite a few things on, even on Instagram during the, the, the lockdown. I started, I posted a couple of pictures of food and people said, oh, I want that recipe. Why don't you put, post the recipe? And I thought, really? I'm not, I'm only an amateur cook, but um so I started doing that and then people, and I was testing the water. I thought, I'm being a bit busy here or what? And then they said, no, no, we love it. We love it. So, so I kept doing um, the recipes through lockdown until I started work again. Um, so I might do one or two more if it happens again, but hopefully it won't. It sounds like you should be getting the tweet saying, get back in the kitchen, not me. <laughs> very good yeah i've been off of cookbooks and tv, um, TV ideas and all sorts but I'm, I'm i keep saying no i feel a fraud i'm just a very you know I'm, I'm i'm getting better but i'm a kind of i'm an amateur but um so we'll we'll see okay so you're having a dinner party tonight what is your dish of choice what's your speciality i don't really, I, I, I i cook kind of everything now i've got and I've kind of upped my game a little bit and a few classical dishes and stuff, you know, with fish and meat and stuff. But I think I'd have to pick one thing. I'd probably pick, um, it's kind of a starter. It's something that I loved when I was in Barcelona, when I was in Spain. Gambas al ajillo. So um, prawns and garlic, basically, and the juice and stuff. But um, but they do it in a certain way and I wanted to learn it and I did it. And um, it's, it's, it's such a great dish that I'd, I'd probably go with that one. I mean, I... You know, I'd have to follow it with something else, but it could be anything. But yeah, I'll stick with the gambas I hear, you know, when you've got to cook the oil and get the shells and, the, and to make the juice. And then it's quite, it's, it's quite complex, but it's, it's magnifique or magnificant, I should say, if it's Spanish. Do you enjoy cooking for yourself more or cooking for others? Well, I experiment when I'm on my own, um, but I like cooking for others. Um, I mean, I've generally got one of the boys here or two three or even all of them or four um i've got two tonight coming then we're going to watch the game um so i'll cook first and um i don't know what to cook yet though. i'm not, not giving it any thought i'm going to go straight to the shops after this and have a think and wine to go with it or what's your drink of choice um i'm yeah i'm i love my wine um particularly a, a good bordeaux I think this is just going to become a wine recommendations podcast because we had Maurizio Pochettino on sharing his recommendations. A bit of Malbec, was it? Yeah, Malbec. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> he promised me he was going to send me some, which I still haven't received yet. Ah, oh, right, you see. Never promised anything you're not going to deliver. Thank you so much, Gary. Enjoy the rest of the season with the endless games, the working, and obviously... The cooking. My pleasure.
Given some of the content in these pods, perhaps I should have called it Back in the Kitchen with Melissa Reddy. You know, just troll the trolls. I hope you enjoyed listening to Gary along with all the other episodes. Share some love on social media and let me know who you'd like to hear from as a guest. You can search for Melissa Reddy or Stakhanov and tell us your thoughts. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production. Written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.